you enjoy what we're doing here on the Underground Footy Podcast, you can show your support. Cash out, TG Young Boys. Either way, sit back and enjoy. Episode 3 of the Underground Footy Podcast. I'm real excited today. I have uh, Kelvin Jones, the uh, director of the Columbus Crew Academy. And we're going we're gonna to chop it up a little bit, hopefully get some good information out to, out to the folks. Um, and like I said, I'm real excited and blessed to have such great guests coming through and, and hope to continue with that. And again, you know, so uh, Coach Jones, are you ready to step on the subway? Uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start out with the same question I ask everybody. How did you fall in love with this game? Oh, man, going deep early, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny how I got into it. I, I, didn't, I didn't even want to play soccer when I first got into soccer. Um, my neighbor, who was about a year younger than me, um, his mom signed him up for rec soccer and uh, didn't want him to play by himself. So his mom asked my mom if I wanted to play, and I said, sure, and just uh, just started playing from there. And it was just an opportunity just to, to get out and run around, basically, for my mom to get me out of the house, mom and dad get me out of the house and, and be active. Um, and then from there, just really enjoyed it, uh, enjoyed being out in the field. What, 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 age, what age was that? I was seven. Seven. Yeah, I was seven. Um, so just enjoyed being out in the fields, running around, and just slowly started to fall in love with the game. Uh, that was rec soccer. Um, and I didn't get into competitive, what you would call competitive or travel soccer, until I was 10. Uh, joined my local travel team down in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, at U10. Um, and then stayed, stayed with them until I was about U14 and was blessed and fortunate enough to and then move up north to uh, Northern Virginia into Braddock Road and, and play for uh, Braddock Road Warhawks uh, back in the day back then. So, yeah, my, my, my journey into soccer was, was one because of my, my neighbor didn't want to play by himself. So right. thank you. Thank did, you, did, Jason did he, Bonner. Did he continue <laughs> to play as well? No, he played for a couple seasons and then got into baseball and golf. Oh, wow. Right, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, and, and as you were coming up, so you actually came into the DMV area if you were at Braddock Road. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, know no the area well. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Because I know, well, I'll get to that later. All right, so mm-hmm. then who were some of the players that you idolized growing up? Idolized? It's funny. I mean, I got into soccer because I enjoyed playing and running around. Uh, and back then, soccer wasn't necessarily readily available on TV. Um, but I also came through the era of the MLS started up and the heyday of DC United. And, and being a center back, uh, back in my day, you always looked up to Eddie Pope uh, and idolized the player that he was. So growing up um, in the DMV and, and just a little bit farther south and uh, seeing DC United and the, the runs that they went on, you, it was hard pressed not to not to be a fan of Eddie Pope. So um, 
I wasn't nearly as tall or athletic, but doesn't mean uh, the kid couldn't dream, right? <laughs> exactly. That's funny because, you know, he was my first guest. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's awesome. Um, also, next up, I'm going to go. I'm just going right into it now. <laughs> what, right. what is like, you know, the USSDA shut down mm -hmm. right around the same time. Well, actually, the same time that COVID kind of really started biting into the whole environment and into that vacuum came MLS next. Now, what is what to you? What are the differences between the DA and and MLS next? Even if it's just, I mean, is it how they're going to operate? I mean, you know, they they kind of came out of two different spaces, but they have the same players for the most part. I would I would think. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a two-pronged question. Um, it's where they're at right now is completely different than what the vision of the club, what the league is and where they want to be. Um, I still think we're still in the COVID void of the, the whole country still not open yet. So it's impossible to, to, to know or to see what the true platform is right now. Um, but they for sure stepped into a void that was left by U.S. soccer. Um, and we're fortunate enough to, to be a part in, uh, and have the entity of the MLS step in and take uh, take leadership in it. Um, being a part of it and at this level now, it, it's uh, I, when we were in the DA, I was more of a coach and not on the, the director side of things. So knowing the ins and outs, I didn't know, but it seems the approach uh, that the MLS is taking right now is it's really eliciting the buy-in from all clubs, whether it's the MLS clubs or the elite clubs uh, that are part of the platform and truly wanting to, to move soccer together uh, forward rather than uh, a governing body eliciting and, and dictating the way things should be played. They, they have their initiatives that they want to move forward, uh, but they also take um, advice and leadership from the, from not only just the MLS directors, uh, but also the elite club directors and how are we going to move this thing forward? Okay. Now, obviously, you know, I deal a lot with parents, um, with, with my organization, PG Young Boys. And so some of the questions that we're getting are they're trying to sort out like, okay, some of these clubs are MLS next. Some of these clubs in our area, we have EDP, we have ECNL, right? These platforms are not obviously working together, but what is it, what is it that a parent, what do you guys look for? And I, I know you can only speak for Columbus. Mm -hmm. What do you look for in a player when you're trying to say, okay, we'd like to bring him in to not just MLS next, but actually into your academy? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, first and foremost, you, you, you kind of want to gauge what the level, what the, what the player wants uh, as much as, um, it's an interview process for the, the kids to whether, whether or not we're the right fit for them. We've also got to figure out whether or not they're the right fit for us. And it's asking that player what they want out of the game. Um, do you want to be a pro? Do you understand what that process is? Uh, do you understand that uh, the vast majority of the people or the players that are in this environment aren't going to be pros? And uh, what, we, what we love about what we do here is, yes, we're trying to produce pros for the first team or, or to produce homegrowns or professionals, period. Um, but it's also how do, we, how do we set these kids up for success in life after soccer? 
yes, to be successful in soccer, but at some point soccer is going to be over. So what's the type of person that we are creating here in the club that's going to set that person, uh, that player up for success. So as we look for these kids, it's making sure it's a good culture fit before it's a good soccer fit. If it's not a good culture fit, then, um, then we're going to bump heads along the way. Uh, and we're, there's always going to be disagreements in the development of a, of a player from, these, from parents. Uh, but as long as we're on the same page, first and foremost, is what the expectations are uh, from the player, but also as the club, then we can move forward in the right direction. So um, a kid that's humble, a kid that's coming in, understanding that it's, it's a process and there's going to be ups and downs in that process, um, but is willing to, to work with us through that process, through the ups and downs, and, and understand that at the end of the day, we want what's best for the kid. Okay. Now, some of the, sometimes when you see – you know, players come in and obviously at this point, I mean, like, you know, I'm on Twitter and, and you see that certain players are kind of pushed out there, whether it be through the parents, whether it be through the punditry and so on. I mean, especially at very young ages. Now, when these kids come into these academies, um, do you, do you guys kind of say, okay, well, this one we feel has a, a, a higher ceiling or do you kind of just, once you've decided a player is a fit that you see who rises to the top or, you know, do you, you don't, you don't tag someone immediately upon seeing them. I mean, obviously very young ages, it's, it would be difficult anyway, but do, do you feel like everyone gets a, a, a fair shot at becoming a pro at, at, at Columbus? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's different through the ages. Um, I think any MLS Academy would be foolish to say that they don't recruit the higher level talent to bring in. So certain players that you bring in, you, you project out to be at a higher level uh, coming in than, than others. Um, but at the same time, when they get here, they're on the same footing as everybody else. Everyone that's in this Academy uh, is we are dedicated to developing and we understand that every player develops at their own rate. So we've got to understand that um, at the younger ages, at the youngest, our induction ages is U14. And uh, we've been fortunate enough to kind of grow our program down in pre-academy into younger ages now to, to build a better pool of players to feed into the academy. Um, but it's, again, it's identifying those players that are obviously good soccer players, technically inept on the ball. Um, but they're also a good culture fit. And to be able to introduce our methodology and our culture at a young age uh, helps us to continue to push players along in the pathway. So once a kid is here, yes, you have just about every possibility to make it uh, as everybody else. When you get here, it's up to you. Uh, we tell these kids every day. And uh, I kind of got into the 19s the other day after the match about this. It's we are here to guide you. We're not here to make you. Um, you will make yourself if you want to. You're given the resources to be a good player, to be the best player that you potentially be, can be within our environment. What you do with those resources is up to you. We will help guide you along the way. Uh, but you have to be willing to, to take the feedback and reflect on your game and put in, process, put in place the processes that we have here to, to make sure that you're on the right path. And what's the, what's the scouting process? I mean, how do you, how do you find players? Like, let's start with in Ohio. Mm -hmm. What, what is your relationship with the clubs locally or do you just 
I mean, do you bring them in? How do, how do you how do you find those top guys from Ohio? Our it's we are fortunate now to to have leadership and ownership that is invested in the club. And recruiting previously was tough. We didn't have the resources in terms of uh, manpower to be able to go out and to identify players. Um, and the way uh, relationships were in the past have kind of been a detriment to actually identifying the top players here in Ohio and and in the region. Um, so we have a goal and, and a mission to, to own our environment, to own the region, and to truly identify the top kids in the region. And part of that process is reaching out and, and developing relationships with the clubs, uh, whether the top club or the lower level clubs, all clubs here in, in not only in Columbus, but in the region that we have. Um, our best scouts are the, the directors of these clubs. They know their kids better than we can. Uh, we can go out and see these kids uh, in their training sessions or in their matches, and we can have a glimpse of what they look like. But these directors are with these kids day in and day out and truly know um, how these kids are. So the more relationships that we can grow and develop within our region helps us grow uh, the quality of soccer within within the academy. Um, like I said, we, we're fortunate enough to, to expand our programming down to the pre-academy ages, and we have a, a bigger pool of players that we've identified. Uh, and that it truly has come from identifying developing relationships with the clubs here in and around Columbus, um, reaching out and asking them what they need and uh, helping them and understanding that, helping them understand that they're part of this process as well. It's not us coming in and dictating you what needs to be done. It's we have a vision of where the club wants to be. And these clubs are a big part of that vision if we're doing what, if we're doing it right. Um, so then you, you go outside of the region. It's again, it's developing relationships. You've got certain markets and clubs that you have identified as top clubs and you've identified relationships with, and those clubs are uh, more willing to, to send their players to you um, if there's a relationship. Um, on top of that, we, you then grow out your, your recruiting department and your scouting department uh, to go out to certain events or go out into certain regions to, that have a uh, high density of kids that you can um, get identification and, and eyes on. So from some bottom here in grassroots all the way to identifying kids nationally, we're, we're still building out that process in, in that department, uh, but we are farther along now than we have been in, in quite some time. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, I've always noticed was uh, like, you know, obviously in travel soccer, you have a lot of uh, what do you call it? tryout season, right? Mm -hmm. Now, something that I've noticed is there's also like in a more professional environment at the older ages in particular, it's more of a trial situation. What are the differences for people who don't know between a tryout and a trial? Yeah, a, a tryout for me, it's, it's the identification of a larger pool of players and then identifying the best players within that, that pool of players. So for us, we, we don't necessarily call them tryouts. We, we more call them combines uh, where we bring in a pool of kids that we've identified to come into a training environment and compete against each other and, and then identify the top kids from there. So once we've identified the top kids from there, it's then bringing them into our environment, our training environment and see how they do. So tryout slash combine for me, it's, it's identifying a pool of players to bring in. Um, and we typically do that at the younger ages because, again, we want to build and cast a wider net. <clears throat> and 
and there are our base programming. Uh, a trial is the identif identification of a top kid uh, that you want to bring into the environment for an extended period of time. And that's typically what we do at our middle to older ages because we have a pool, uh, a dedicated pool of players that we've dedicated the development to. Um, and we're, from that point, we're only identifying one or two kids to bring in each year to, to help round out or to, to better the pool. So the, that trial will last uh, a couple days or that trial may last uh, a couple weeks, depending on who the kid is and the relationship that we have with the club. Um, but for me, that's the distinction between the two. Okay. So the other thing, uh, you, you, you've got a unique perspective in as much as you've, you've played in maybe not the, 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 the bullseye of the DMV, but you've definitely played in, and you're familiar with this area. Um, I believe you, you, you worked out of legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, where, 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 where are they located again? Right in the middle of Richmond and Virginia beach. Okay, so they're in between the two places. Now, what what is unique to the Columbus soccer team? Um, we're on a, a little bit of an island. Like you, you've got a hundred clubs within fifteen miles, and in DC, Northern Virginia, DC, Maryland, uh, if if more, and the population, the density of kids, is, it's unbelievable. Here in Columbus, there's there's a large pool of clubs. But once you get outside of Columbus, you, you've got smaller towns that have their, their clubs uh, here and there. But the next densely populated uh, pool of kids is you go to Cincinnati, you go over to Dayton, uh, you go over to Cleveland or to Pittsburgh. And the closest trip there is, is an hour to two hours and Pittsburgh being three hours. So um, the landscape is, is much more spread out. So the identification of top talent becomes a, a little bit more difficult because it's spread out as well. But at each age group, what do you expect out of your out of your academy? What is it that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, first and foremost the youngest age. It's it's it, well, let's say all ages. Let's be honest. The, the reason why these kids play the game is because they enjoy the love of the game and have fun. So at all ages, we just want to make sure that the kids are still enjoying it. But also throughout the progression of their age group to the academy, there's a level of professionalism that you develop. So at the youngest ages, uh, obviously the, the player has to be technically enough to be successful within the match and the level of competition, but the sheer joy of the game. Uh, you watch our U14s coach Matunda out with that U14 group, and they've come a long way uh, from where they were at the beginning of the year. They've gotten better at soccer, but you can see the joy that they have when they're out there playing, uh, win, lose, or, or draw. Um, so as long as we can continue to keep that as a foundation, we're, we're on the right path. As they get older, um, it's about the different benchmarks of maturity and the development, not only um, within soccer, but also as uh, young children maturing into young adults. So at the middle ages, it's, it's understanding uh, the model, uh, the U15s, it's the game model at which we play, understanding your role within the game model. Um, but then also understanding the the individual group dynamics that happen at that age group because it's a lot of these kids are just beginning puberty or just at the beginning stages of puberty and it's very hormonal. So understanding uh, the the small group dynamics and the relationships between there uh, at U15 when you get to U17 you can become a little bit more specialized in your role. Um, 
what does it mean to start to understand to be a professional, the increased training that you have, um, and then also your understanding of an individual within the collective game model as well. What are you, what can you bring to the game to make the group to be successful? And then at 19, it's you're closer to the professional game than you ever have been. Um, so hopefully a lot of these kids are getting the opportunity to be in a first team environment, train with the first team, understand what it is to be like to be a pro. Um, those that aren't at that level yet, it's understanding what the college pathway may be uh, for them as well. So again, it's, it's, um, there's a process from, from early ages, but at the root of it, it's the joy and the excitement that they have uh, of being a soccer player. Yeah. Now I saw, I saw on Twitter where uh, several of your players went off to camp with the, uh, with the first team. And so the, the, the reasoning behind sending your academy guys in with the first team, I mean, do they train with the first team during the year as well? I mean, obviously during COVID it, it's kind of changed some dynamics, but you know, if it's a regular year when things kind of clear up some, and, and also, like I said, how did, how did it come about that, you know, is that something that all the clubs do? Uh, they take, they, they take their Academy guys. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I follow you guys and um, I follow a few other clubs, but yeah. I don't know, obviously everything, but uh, so what, how did, how did you guys come about deciding to take those guys? Yeah, it's, it's always been a philosophy here at the club of, of giving those kids that are close to being ready to the first team the opportunity to experience uh, a first team preseason. Um, and some of the guys that have gone haven't really played too much or trained too much, uh, but we also knew that going in because it's about the experience that they're going to get being around professionals and what the professional game looks like and how they approach um, their approach to training and team development and and all those things. So. Um, it's really important to us to continue to also show that there's a pathway to the first team for, for all the players and to, to have so many kids in a first team environment um, is special. So we're, we're fortunate enough to, to have Caleb and, and Pat and Bez and Corey and those guys that believe in that pathway um, and giving the kids the opportunity. And I think you're right in terms of right now, COVID is, it's tricky. Um, these six kids, uh, at some point in the last few years have, have been in a first team training environment. Um, and, but this was the first time in a year that they've been in that environment because of COVID. But previously, prior to that, uh, I think Caleb's first year, there were uh, close to 15 kids uh, that were in and out of first team training at some point throughout the year. So um, it's, we're, we're blessed that Caleb uh, um, believes in the, in the academy pathway to the first team. And we believe we're blessed to have Pat and, and Bez that believe in that as well. Um, so in, in a normal year, it's the, if the kid is ready or close to being ready, or we, we think that they need to be uh, challenged a little bit, we have the pathway of a first team training or, or uh, first team preseason that we can get these kids some experience. Now, um, another thing that we've been noticing is that there seems to be a lot more with the homegrown signings. And also it's, it seems like I'm, there's a lot of kids that are going overseas as well. And I mean, from, for most of us looking at it from the outside, we're like, this is, this is great. Cause it's creating pressure 
to develop players. You know, whether you are, like I said, a domestic league like MLS, or it seems like it's a lot of foreign, foreign uh, scouts and whatnot trying to seek things out, as well as I'm sure the amount of video and everything that's available makes it a lot easier for them as well to kind of see what's going on. How do you, how do you feel about dealing with the, 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 do you feel like that's, that's good for, that's good for, for, for soccer overall? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you, anytime that your environment is developing kids that can play at the top level overseas, you know, that you're doing something right. So to, to some extent, it's a litmus test to see uh, how your developmental process is working. So I think it's only great for the game. Um, it, it brings up a different model um, of development as well. Um, if when you've got players that you're selling for six, seven, eight million dollars, that that money can then be pushed back into the academy uh, in hopes of producing more players. Um, you may be more inclined to uh, to continue to, to build that pathway out and, and hopefully producing more players. Obviously, the, the goal is to hopefully produce players that contribute to your first team. Um, but at the end of the day, it is also a business. If, if you can produce players that can produce not only just championships for the club, but for revenue for the club at some point, then, then that's a model that um, you can look back at and say it's been successful. So does the, does Caleb come out to the uh, and watch the kids sometimes, or or how do the first team guys do they take you guys recommendations? How do, how does that work? Yeah, the so again pre pre COVID um, first team guys would come out every now and then. Ben Cross would come out um, more often than anybody else. He was former U uh, nineteen coach here in the academy, and obviously he still has ties with guys in the academy. So. Pre-COVID, he would come out as much as he can. Uh, Caleb would pop out every now and then. When we train at the first team facility, uh, it's more likely that those guys will pop out and, and watch training. Uh, Pat Onstead, the technical director, would uh, even during COVID last year would pop out at the field and, and watch first team training. Uh, but I would imagine as we move into the, the new facility, uh, that will probably end up being a regular. We'll have more eyes uh, on us, what we do as a staff, but also more eyes on, on the players and how they're progressing as well. So, when we talk about players moving into first team environments and, and training environments, they, they take the recommendation from the staff. Um, then we have a conversation about it and why they should be or why they shouldn't be. So when are you uh, getting your new facility? When, it, when are you guys going to be blessing? The June, kids? beginning of June. Beginning finally. Huh? Finally. Yeah. So those kids will actually be seeing the, the, the pros as they come and go. Yep. Um, as yep. Well. Yep. Everyone will be under the same building. All right. All right. Um, so like, how do you, how do you select coaches? I mean, what is it that you look for in an academy coach? What are the expectations of your academy coaches? I mean, these guys, these guys are working hard, I would assume. So how do you, what is it that, that, that you tell when somebody comes for an interview, you're like, this is what's expected. Yeah, um, uh, I guess a little bit of recency bias because we're going through, we just finished that process of, of looking for a new head coach now. And this is my first time doing it um, because I just assumed the position in September. And uh, the current staff that we have now was assembled by our previous academy director, Dennis Sanchez. And he did a fantastic job of identifying uh, not only good talent, but, but 
good people. Um, so my goal was to, to continue that. Um, it's, it's people first and then what you know uh, and, and will we'll obviously help us grow what we do here. But it's, first and foremost, it's what kind of person are you? Um, so what we always ask, and, and I think all of our current staff have a story, and it's the, the question that I asked uh, all the candidates that we put through the process. It's, it's what do you want out of soccer? Why are you in soccer? And everyone here is uh, the underlying explanation for them. It's to some extent, it's the lessons that I've learned along the way. I want to be able to teach back to the kids, uh, good, bad, uh, at all different levels. We got coaches that played at um, a lower level D3, and we've got a coach that's played in all the top leagues in Europe um, and all uh, stops in between. So the experiences, the, the variety of experiences that we have in the staff is kind of what we pride ourselves on and what we enjoy. And everyone, it's an environment where everyone has uh, their own piece of how this, this project moves forward. Uh, they can develop their own voice and, and use their experience and harken back on their experiences to, to help not only teach the kids, but also the, the staff itself. And um, one of the things that I noticed, and I guess uh, it, it became more apparent. I mean, obviously these times have been pretty turbulent, but it seems like Columbus crew really embraces diversity. And I just wanted to know uh, what was the approach the organization took, you know, following the killing of George Floyd and, and just all of the things that came after it. Cause obviously, you know, sports is, is kind of a reflection of, of, of society. And, and it's not like, you can just move on like, okay, we're not, we're not dealing with that. We're just doing soccer over here or whatever. So, I mean, and, and I know the answers to some of this because I followed it, you know, but I just want to know how, how, what was the edict that came down from the top as far as dealing with everything that was going on at that time? Yeah, it was, we, we had deep discussions as an Academy staff on it and, um, just at our level, just uh, the the temperature of the country, where we were at, and and how we got there, and like I said, uh, a little bit. Hold on, what's that? <laughs> you can say those for later. Yes, my youngest. <laughs> um, but like I said earlier, it's it, it's setting these kids up to be successful in life, uh, not just soccer. So. Uh, what are the lessons that we can teach along the way? And again, what are the experiences that each and every one of us have had along the way to, to help move these kids along? Um, so initially, after, after all of this, after the, the riots and, and us reflecting as a staff, we're, we're thinking about what's some programming that we can do um, within the academy. Um, and Matunda, our U14 coaches, um, it's got a... a, a pretty long history within uh, social justice and social justice is his passion. Um, and like I said, as far as staff development, everyone's got their say in how we move this project forward. And he was really passionate about putting some programming together uh, on how we move this forward. So we put some programming initially together that didn't necessarily uh, take root, but it started a conversation. And that's what most of this is about. It's just being able to have a conversation. Um, so kids are talking, the staff is talking, and, 
and how do we continue to move the conversation forward instead of letting it lose steam? And unfortunately, a couple months back, uh, we had an incident on the field um, uh, with a player calling up one of our players, uh, uh, not very polite name. Um, And it's an unfortunate event, but we as a staff took it again as a moment to bring the conversation back up. And we had some really, really deep conversations with our 17s and 19s. I think to an extent, it's, it may be above the 14s and 15s heads. Um, but we had some really, really deep conversations um, addressing some of these things with our older age groups. And Matunda did a really j- good job of artfully navigating through it and allowing players a safe space to speak their stories and to ask questions. Um, it's a difficult, difficult subject to, to cross. And especially when you've got 40 some odd kids that come from different backgrounds and aren't comfortable um, expressing themselves. And um, what I hope we have done is created a, a dialogue with here within the club that uh, will continue to move forward with these players as we move on. And like I said, the, it was an unfortunate event, but it was an event that really kind of spearheaded us moving forward with, with the conversations in the club. Okay. Um, now, I'll shift a little. I remember when uh, when the DA first started, and you know my my oldest boy, who's now playing in college. I was trying to figure out what they were doing, and so I saw where they had like they, let's say their principles of play, where they were going to play a four three three across the board, mm-hmm. with I believe the thought being okay, national team, everybody be mm-hmm. able to integrate because everyone's playing the same formations. As time went on, I saw it it evolved and it became more like real football in the rest of the world, which means you bring kids up in the system that you've decided on your principles of play. Mm -hmm. Um, So for you guys, what are the principles of play? This is for my, this is for my coaches. They wanted to know Mm -hmm. what is it, what is it that you aim for? What, what are it's, Yes, you can have some dessert. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think when people ask that question, I think they're looking for like the the magic pill uh, that that solves all problems. But our principles of our principles of play, like the how they're outlined, are universal to to anybody. How you interpret them depends on your your club, your organization, your team, um, and how we look at our principle. First of all, how we look at the game. It's players have to make decisions within the game. Um, so how can we help guide players' visions, thoughts, and helping them interpret the game and helping them break down, our, break down the game? So simply, our principles of play are designed on how, uh, depending on the phase of play that we're in, how we break down the, the opposition's lines. Uh, and the simple language that we, that we use is when you break down any opponent, it's you're either looking to go over the opponent, you're looking to go around them, or you're looking to break lines and go through. So we've broken down our principles of play um, in the phases of play in those three areas. Um, and then the, the language that we use on the field is it's, uh, we hearken back to those, those three ways to break down the opponent and helping the, helping the kids understand um, any given moment how we break down the opponent. Coaches want to know, and everybody's trying to figure out this key to 
how are players going to get better in the U.S. and how we're going to yeah. you know, get them out there. And, and I mean, and I, and I can respect that, you know, of course, we want to be we want to be successful across the board. But again, you know, it's just looking at that because, you know, you hear the kids, they want to they just want to play ball. And so mm-hmm. um, what, something that I've seen happen before, and, and I, I assume that you do this on purpose, but I wanted to kind of get this out to the parents. Sometimes coaches put players in situations where they got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Is, is, that, is that fair to say? Like Absolutely. You, throw, Absolutely. you throw them a surprise that they didn't get in practice and you say, hey, we're going to do this or – we're going to pick them up at half field. We're going to press. We're going to, you know, whatever it is. Is I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think just, just to simplify it, you, when you're looking at the individual player, you, you, we all know stories of the, the kid that was big, strong, and fast at the younger age and, and just dominated play. And when they got older and everybody caught up, they struggled. It's because they were comfortable and successful at doing one thing and they were never put in situations where they then had the problem solved in a different way. And by the time that they did, they were un- unable to. So that's the, it's, that's the art of coaching, really. It's putting your kids in situations where they have the problem solved. The game is the player's game. And the situations that come up within the game are up to the players to decide. The, what we do in training and practice is hopefully prepare them for the, the decisions that they make in the game. So we put them in situations, um, repeatable situations, um, so, they can, so they can problem solve. And then if they become successful in certain actions, then we put them in different situations where they have to problem solve in different actions. So at the end of the day, on the weekend, when the, the match is ready, us as coaches, we have set up our model of which we want to play, and we basically roll the ball out and play. It's 11 players, hopefully on the same page, problem solving together. There's only so much that we can do on a sideline as coaches. Um, we, yes, we can change formations and we can fix a couple things tactically. But at the end of the day, the decisions that happen on the field come from the players. And hopefully we're putting them in situations day in and day out where they're having to make decisions and, and, and problem solve. If they're not, then they're not progressing. They're not developing. Okay. All right. And I'm going to... I'm going to tie this up with this. How would uh, a potential player engage Crew Academy if, if they wanted to get an opportunity for you guys to see them or, you know, what, what would be the process? Yes, different levels. Um, first, um, I, I hope that the, the player, the family has a good relationship with their, with their coach or their club director. And, uh, they're comfortable having a conversation with them that they're looking to, to go to the next level. Um, and hopefully that club director is willing to, to reach out to us as a staff and say, hey, we've got this kid that we think that you may be interested in and we're always open to giving shots. Um, if you don't, we have an online uh, intake portal on our website under the Academy uh, recruitment page um, that people can submit uh, basically the, their CVs and uh, any match highlights or match film that they have. Um, and we are, Nate has done a fantastic job of whittling through that every day and selecting, selecting kids and selecting the selecting players. Um, and then from there, it's also us doing our due diligence and doing our job to make sure we get eyes in the right environment on the right kids. So if you've come through the portal and we've talked with your coaches and 
we're willing and ready to move forward, then it's on us to get eyes on you and to make sure we're either coming to your environment where you're at, your your training sessions, your matches, your your tournaments, or uh, we're inviting you into into training. Um, we are we're an open door. Um, I, I I was talking to a coaching colleague to, uh, earlier today. It's I got an opportunity uh, to be here when I may not have been qualified to do so. Um, but somebody gave me the opportunity, uh, and, uh, whether it's for coaches or, or kids, we, we want to give kids the opportunity, um, that they may not normally get. Uh, I, I don't know if you know our, on our E14 team, we found two kids, um, that are, uh, on the team now that have really never really played organized soccer. We found them, um, identified them through a, a school, uh, spirit day, uh, that we did this time last year. Um, and went to their community center, saw them play, and said, hey, let's give these kids an opportunity. So it's, it's about giving these kids access to the game and making sure that we can help grow the game as much as we can and, and getting eyes on the kids and allowing the, and empowering these coaches and these directors to, to uh, be comfortable reaching out to us. All right. Well, look, I want to thank you for taking this time. You know, I know – you're eating dinner and all kinds of stuff like that. But thanks for taking this time and, 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 and coming on the Underground Footy Podcast. And, you know, like I said, it's just getting information out. We're going we're gonna to see if our next guest can match up with, the, with our first three, and, and, and we'll keep it rolling. All right, thanks for your time, Coach. Thanks, Wolf. Happy to be here. All right. All right.